Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at It's a it's a great time, uh, and how many of you like turkey? You guys like turkey? All right. So so what's your favorite? Is it is it turkey, pumpkin pie, or dressing? Dressing. Yeah, I love dressing, but you know the pumpkin pie is right there. So that's awesome. Well, it's a great American holiday, really. It's it's. Um, kind of unique to America, and I'm really proud of America for having um, a time of Thanksgiving, you know, of remembering um, our forefathers. I mean, it started in 1621 with the pilgrims, and, uh, you know, all throughout our history, there's been a tradition of Thanksgiving. Uh, George Washington made a proclamation about it, and uh, so did Abraham Lincoln and other presidents. And eventually it just became an American tradition where every year we kind of stop and we slow down and we, we remember uh, that we are to give thanks. Um, how many of you like tofu turkeys? Okay. Yeah, right? Well, one year some of our family, I won't say who their names are, uh, wanted to have tofu turkey. And I was like, ew. So, so it was there, but I didn't try it. I'm... Well, we have been um, on a series this month uh, that Pastor Shane started at the beginning of the month called Shadow Work, and um, it's God working behind the scenes. And Pastor Shane, he started off talking, uh, I just have some quotes here. He, he said that the provision of God often comes in unconventional ways. And he talked about ravens, uh, you know, uh, bringing food to one of the prophets and oils of jar and some really uncanny types of things. Hi, Keila, how are you? And, um, and it is uh, amazing to see God behind all of the scenes, you know, it's just amazing. And then Pastor Tracy did an amazing job. She said, we are citizens of an invisible kingdom. God works in, in the invisible kingdom. And she started talking about... Um, uh, Rahab, and um, I, I had to chuckle when she called her a, a, a demon-worshipping um, heathen, you know. <laughs> but really, it's amazing who God will choose out and use, you know. And, and somehow God used her, and uh, Rahab, that is. And, um, and then she talked about Esther and the early Christians. And, and behind the scenes, in the invisible world, God was doing amazing things. And then last week, Pastor Mark said something that kind of leads into my message. He said, a believer prays when things get tough. A Christ follower gives thanks regardless of the circumstances. And so that's so true. And that's kind of what the song was about this morning and, and what uh, Michael talked about as well. Well, today's message is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Um, that's the name of the message, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know, God has been working behind the scenes, um, and he has been working to help us understand uh, that an attitude of thanksgiving is intricately linked with a revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so that's kind of what I want to talk about here this morning, but I want to begin with prayer. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this time. 
uh, this hour and this moment, and we give you praise, Lord. I pray that you'll help me to share what you put upon my heart, that you'll open up each heart here, Lord, and, and help us, Father, to receive all that we can from this. And we ask it in your loving name. Amen. So the sacrifice of thanksgiving in the gospel. Um, I want to give you a little bit of background. In the book of Leviticus, you have all of these offerings and sacrifices that took place. And they're very intricate, intricate and uh, they're well explained. If you haven't read that book in a while, I suggest you do so. And especially with the New Testament understanding of all of the uh, ways that it points to Jesus Christ and, and to the New Testament and the revelation of the New Testament. But there's various offerings and these are the major ones. There's the burnt offering, uh, number one. Number two, the grain offering. Uh, number three, the peace offering that we're going to talk about more in a moment. And then there is the sin offering. And then finally, number five, the trespass offering. Now, there's actually more offerings than that, but those are the major ones that are talked about. And, and really, they go into a lot of detail. Most of these Old Testament sacrifices um, included... Uh, you know, the sacrifice of like a lamb or a goat or a bull and uh, not turkeys, by the way, but, um, you know, of of um, these animals that represented uh, uh, what it would be in the New Testament, the revelation. And they foreshadowed basically Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross for our sins. And so they're pretty heavy, if I can use that word. Now, the peace offering itself, which is one of the major groupings of offerings, actually has three categories underneath it. So, you know, you have offerings, and then you have the types of offerings, and then under the peace offering, you even have other offerings. So it's, it's very intricate, really, very detailed. But here are the three of them. One is called the votive offering, and that is in response to fulfill a vow. So somebody makes a vow, and for whatever reason, they make this vow, and, they, and then they go to God to fulfill this vow, and they go through all of the uh, things that they need to do in order to fulfill um, this vow and bring this offering before the Lord. And then there is the free will offering. And this is where somebody simply wants to give an expression of love to the Lord. You know, God has just, just been amazing in their life. And so they want to go and just... Um, say how much they love God. And so they just kind of do it. I don't know. I, I think every once in a while we should just do that, you know, not, not in response to something he's done for us, not, not uh, in any other way, but just to say, God, we love you. You know, we love you. And then there is the thank offering itself, and uh, which we're going to focus on here in a moment, but that's in recognition of unmerited and unexpected blessings. So something comes in my life and I want to give thanks to God. And so I go and, and I, I give an offering. Um, now, these peace offerings, uh, it should be noted, can also simply be prompted by somebody who maybe feels distant from God. Or they feel like there's some kind of issue in their life that needs to be resolved. And they want to, they want to have peace with God. And so they go and they give a peace offering. And, and basically, it brings peace between them and God. I hope you follow that. So it brings peace between them and God. 
So I'm going to be reading here from Leviticus chapter 7, and this is about the thank offering in verse 11 through 14, and it says, This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. Verse 12, if he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. Notice that the sacrifice of thanksgiving with his peace offering. And verse 14, and from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. That means he lifts it up to the Lord. He lifts it up to the Lord. And the last part of that, it shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. Uh, so they're always they were always sprinkling blood. They would have a hibiscus, I believe it was, branch, and they would put that in the blood, and they would just kind of sprinkle it around the altar. Um, and, and then also there was burning that would take place quite often. Now, I want you to imagine, if you can for a moment, actually what went into some of these offerings. And, and if you were to do it yourself, just, just think about it. Um, obviously, you're, you're getting um, a lamb of the flock, let's say. Uh, and so, and it's just not any lamb. It has to be a lamb without spot or blemish. So you have to really inspect them and pick out the most perfect lamb you possibly can because that's what you want to bring to God. Um, that's what you're instructed that, that is pleasing to God. And then, of course, not only selecting the animal, but um, preparing it, washing it, uh, getting it ready to go um, to be sacrificed. Let's be fair. I mean, it's, you know, in, in one sense, it's kind of like, wow, this is, this is strange. But uh, when you understand the revelation behind it, it's powerful. And so they prepared it, they washed it, they got it all ready. And then, and then they also had to prepare a meal. So putting all this meal together and everything else, that took time. It literally took days. And you know what? Any time that you take days and wait upon the Lord, powerful things are going to happen. Any time that you are focused, laser focused on, I'm preparing this for you, God, and this is my offering to you, get ready, you know. Um, and, and so... Now, some of the examples of the Old Testament sacrifices, they foreshadow um, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So I just kind of want to throw some of these at you and kind of talk about the Old Testament part and then what it foreshadows in the New Testament part. I uh, can't do too much of a depth of offering here, I mean of, uh, of investigation about the offerings, but uh, just to talk about a few of them. So you have the sin offering, um, which you can read about in Leviticus 4 if you want to, and and basically, uh, that goes into the New Testament because Jesus was our sin offering, basically. So John 1.29, the, uh, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a powerful statement that is. Whoa. I mean, that kind of says it all right there. Um, so Jesus is our bridge to God as a sin offering, basically. He took my place on the cross. He was what one of the eight, well, I, I think that there's about eight historic essential doctrines 
that are important to Christianity. I mean, they just, everything else kind of rises and falls on these eight doctrines. And one of them is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And the substitution means he took your place on the cross. He took Stan's place on the cross, Scott's place on the cross. And so it's like, uh, you know, he, he knows what, and he knew what he was doing because it says in uh, Hebrews 12, um, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You know, he saw, it's not like he enjoyed going to the cross, but he saw the millions and billions of people that would come to know God as Savior and God the Father through his uh, through his uh, crucifixion. And so, praise God for that. So, for those of you that are here today that might not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to tell you, he loves you. He loves you so much. You know, the gospel message is so simple. it's It's called the good news, right? And it's that Jesus Christ came into the world, he died on the cross for our sins, And then he uh, was buried, and then he rose again on the third day, and then he ascended into heaven. And someday he will come again. Now, that's the basic gospel message uh, that we believe as Christians. And if you're here, sitting here right now, you can even say to the Lord right now, Lord, please, I I want that salvation. I want to know you in that way. Um, And it's amazing to me, I'm going to read you a a quote here from one of the early church fathers. I love the history of the early church. I have all kinds of books on it. And and basically, it's amazing to me that before the end of the first century was out, uh, within six to seven decades, this concept that we're talking about, the blood of Jesus Christ, was well known all over the Christian world. It wasn't like they had to come to that conclusion at the end of the third or the fourth century. Oh, no. They knew about it almost immediately. Uh, Clement of Rome, who wrote about 96 AD, he said, let us fix our thoughts on the blood of Christ and reflect how precious that blood is in God's eyes inasmuch as it's outpouring for our salvation has opened, get this, the grace of repentance to all mankind. Somebody say, wow. I mean, seriously, they understood that the grace of repentance was open to all mankind. And so, and so the preaching was going out. They were trying to get as many saved as possible. And, um, and I need a drink. Excuse me. Okay, so in the Old Testament, there was the peace offering, which we've kind of broken down for you. So then in... The symbolism is in the New Testament, the foreshadowing is that Jesus is our peace offering. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 says, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So this two here, I'll read the rest of it in a moment. (coughs) But these two basically mean uniting um, the Jews and the Christians, in in short. Um, Basically that they're all people underneath God and, and breaking down all of these laws. Because before that, 
the Jews, they would have nothing to do with Gentiles. And, um, and so these, these early Jewish uh, people, they got the revelation of Jesus Christ that he wanted to bring salvation to all mankind. And, and so it broke down the ordinances. It broke down the wall that was there. And then, and then finally in verse 16 it says, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby putting to death the enmity. So Jesus Christ is our bridge to God as a peace offering. Now there's other important symbolism that I think needs to be pointed out. Uh, the oil, for instance, that is mixed in with the cakes and with the wafers. Uh, what does that stand for? Well, symbolically, it stands for the Holy Spirit in anointing. The Holy Spirit in anointing. And then you have the fire. Uh, many of the offerings, like there was the whole burnt offering that happened, for instance. And then, and then most of the offerings, if I remember right, of the animals anyway, there were portions of them that the priests would burn up on the altar. And, um, and so they would go forth. Guess what? That stands for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Um, Matthew 3.11 says, I indeed, this is, this is John the Baptist speaking, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know, God wants all of his children to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. He wants the fire deep down in our lives, deep down in our lives. That was a good place for a, oh, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And then Acts chapter two, verse three. Then there appeared unto them divided tongues. Now this is when the 120 were gathered in the upper room. And they were waiting upon the Lord. And you know, good things happen when you wait upon the Lord. And they were waiting upon the Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, came the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues. But it says, then there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And then also in the Old Testament, uh, were the drink offerings that were poured out. They would have this whole other category. And, and the drink offerings were made of wine mixed with oil and flour. And these represent the blood of Jesus Christ being poured out for us. Uh, Luke twenty two twenty says, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And you know, the whole concept was known in the early church, and many of these early church people, they gave their lives for Jesus Christ. Not, not just living out their entire life, which is also a sacrifice. Uh, many of you are sacrificing. Thank you for that. But, but also, they literally were martyred, uh, and Paul was one of them. He, he, and, he and Peter ended up being martyred together by Nero on, uh, in, the, in the fall of uh, 67 A.D., on what's now called Vatican Hill. Uh, Peter was taken out and, and he was crucified upside down on a cross and Paul was beheaded. But, but Paul said this in Philippians chapter two, verse 17. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. So, so Paul was just giving himself to the, to the people of God. 
And then there's many aspects to these offerings that would take place back then. And one of them that I want to point out that I think is important is this idea of the sweet-smelling aroma. Please take a moment and go, just smell what's around you. Hopefully it's good smell. You know, hopefully there's like perfume and things like that. But, you know, that, that idea, that sweet-smelling aroma. And that comes into the New Testament, speaking of Christ in you. Christ in you. And the fragrance that you carry around. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So when you go into a supermarket and you pray for that person next to you in line, maybe you don't say one word for them, but you pray. Or you go into a bank and you simply put on a smile and maybe you even say, God bless you to the, to the banker. Maybe you don't even say anything anywhere. Maybe you just go about and the presence of Christ is in you. You are the fragrance of God to the world. You are the fragrance of God to your families and to the generations to come. You are the fragrance of God in society. You are the fragrance of God. Ephesians 5.2, Paul says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God of a sweet-smelling aroma. So God is just sitting there going, wow, that smells good. Now, the Lord stopped me last week, and he, and he wanted me to tell you this, and I know you hear this so much, and, and, and it's always true, but God really loves you. <laughs> that's, that's what he wanted me to share. He, he kind of talked to me about love, hope, and faith. Not faith, hope, and love, but about love, hope, and faith. And, and he, he, he wanted me to remind you that he really loves you. And, and it's not something we think about very often, but he also hopes for you. His hope is for you. He hopes the best for you. In every area of your life, he hopes the best for you. In fact, hope doesn't get any greater than the hope of God. <laughs> and then, I know this is going to sound strange, I've heard Pastor Ken say it before, and I've said it myself, but not very often, because it sounds kind of strange. But he wants to have faith in you as well. You know, he, he and faith is trust. You know, he, he trusts you. He has faith in you. He has faith in your character. He has faith in your actions. He, he believes that you're going to do the right thing when, this, when, the, when the odds are stacked against you that you're going to make the right choices. So just remember those things. Now, thankfulness, really having that sacrifice of thanksgiving in our lives brings great release in our lives. I just got to tell you, it's a treasure in your heart that brings great release if you will just perform it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now we kind of go, and I've struggled with this before in my own life, like how can I, you know, give thanks for everything? It's like, it's like trying to pray every single moment. You know, these, some of these verses, the way they're translated, we're, our, our minds are kind of like, and, and, and it, 
you know, this speaks to us in some sense about overcoming. And sometimes it's very difficult to um, give thanks uh, in a certain situation. And dare I say, sometimes it's impossible for certain things. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit inside of us um, to show us how to give thanks. It's, it's not that we give thanks for every little thing that happens, but we have a thankful heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a thankful heart. Um, and we need the Holy Spirit. Oh, Pastor Chris, we need the Holy Spirit, right? We do. My, my grandfather, I want to give you an illustration. My grandfather, um, whom I'm named after, his name was Otto Forbes Stanley, so my mom named me Stanley Forbes Fleming. Um, but my mom used to say to me, Stanley, your grandfather was a praying man. <laughs> and, uh, and he lived up in northeastern Washington. And this story took place 110 years ago. Think about that. And, and he was a farmer, and he had homesteaded 360 acres. Think about that, Scott, 360 acres. And um, he built his house and everything else. And, and, you know, I used to work in the Forest Service fighting fires, and there's been a lot of fires gone through the Pacific Northwest. But as I understand it, there's never been one that compares to the great fire of 1910 that they know of. Because it just swept through the West and came across the Pacific Northwest and just took so much stuff. Up where I lived in northern Idaho, about 60 miles from the Canadian border, I mean, the Ponderé River is so wide there. And, and as I understand it, it jumped across the Ponderé River, which was like a quarter of a mile away, you know. I mean, it's just so hot. All the people were gathering down in the river. My grandmother was down in the river with my mom and the, well, my mom wasn't born yet, but um, uh, all of her children and everything else in the livestock. My grandfather stayed with the farm, the homestead, and he prayed in the house. And I guess that fire came right up to the house and it split around the house and it took everything else. It took the crops, the trees, probably the barn and everything else. Now, I just have to imagine that my grandfather um, was, was, he was sad about losing all of his crop and the hard work and everything else, but he was probably so thankful that his family was safe and that his house did not burn to the ground. You know, and I, I think that's a, a reasonable you know, I, my question is, would, would that have been a reasonable response? I, I kind of think it would have. I mean, how, how would you have responded in that situation? How would any of us respond? I think that was reasonable. I think David would have thought that it was a reasonable response because in Psalm 34, 1, he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Um, I, I think that some of the kids that I work with over in Pakistan in the slave schools I, who, you know, get fed meals... Um, I mean, I've seen them, you know, with tears in their eyes as they would, as they would get meals, you know, because they were hungry, because they're some of the poorest people in the world, and, or, or even get an education that we provide for them, you know, that, that, they would, that they, in the midst of their suffering, find something to be thankful for, to be really thankful for. We've seen people like that in third world countries in the midst of whatever, dire circumstances, or even right here in our own hometown. You know, it happens. Um, 
I think Jonah would have thought that was a reasonable response to, to give thanks for what there was. This verse just blows me away. He, he speaks this from the belly of a fish, okay? And I actually believe the story. Jonah 2, 8 through 10. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. He's talking about those who are idolatrous, that worship idols. They forsake their own mercy. And he goes on and he says, but I, everybody say I, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. There's the sacrifice right there. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. That just blows me away. You know, he's down in the belly of this fish and and I just have to believe it. All the crazy things I've been through in this life, I'm sure God could do that. And, and, And so... Here's Jonah, and he just gives thanksgiving. He realizes maybe his life is over, but maybe I better say thanks. Thanks, God, for all you've done anyway, you know. And all of a sudden, God's like, you finally got the point. Blah, you know. And he vomits him up on the dry ground. And I heard a comedian, Christian comedian, one time go, can you just imagine being there in Nineveh and you, you're there at the seashore and you're fishing and all of a sudden you see this guy puked out of a, you know, a big fish and he stands up and he goes, repent. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, Psalm 50, 14 and 15 says, offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and shall glorif- and you shall glorify me. So receive the power of release that comes through the sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know, learn in the, in the most dire of circumstances. I, I hope you don't have those circumstances, actually. But if they come to you, realize that your release comes in being thankful to God. Helen Keller, who, you know, was born deaf and blind and couldn't speak and, you know, through somebody working with her, she finally came to the point where she could understand sign language in her hands Um, and then she eventually learned to speak. She went on to college, to Brown's College. It was amazing. Um, A credible story if you've never read her life story. But, But she said, I have often thought that it would be a blessing if each human being were stricken blind and deaf for a few days at some time during his early adult life. It would make him more appreciative of sight and the joys of sound. Now, okay, so this is a strange story, but I'm going to tell it because I like it. So, um, in the early 70s, okay, my friend Phil and I, we went, I lived, we lived in Reno and, uh, you know, we were hippies, and we were kind of on our search for truth, and we were finding Jesus slowly. And, and basically, we decided to go to the mountains. And so we had backpacks, and he had a dog um, named Luke, which was short for Lucifer, actually. But, um, and, then, uh, and, then, um, and then I had a cat named Tom Bombadil, which if you've ever read The Lord of the Rings, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so um, we, we hiked through the Sierra Nevadas, and, uh, and we made our way through the Trinity Mountains and then over in the Redwoods and all that. Well, this cat, Tom Bombadil, he would ride on my backpack, or sometimes he'd be, he'd be 
walking along next to me or chasing. I remember him trying to stare down cows at times and take on birds and all kinds of stuff. But, but anyway, um, so we, we make our way over to, uh, oh, by the way, it's 70 miles from Weed, California to the coast. And we know that because we had to walk every step of the way. Nobody would give us a ride, you know. But um, so we get over there and we are so hungry um, because all we've had is bisquick and rice and dog food and some seaweed, okay? So, so and all four of us are hungry. You know, the cat, the dog, both of us. And, and so um, we, I go into this, this pizza place and you know, I got long hair and a beard and everything else. I probably look terrible. You know, I got a backpack with a, with a browning bow in the back of it, you know, and all these arrows. And I pulled out an arrow with a, with a, uh, a uh, steel tip uh, on it. And I was fortunate enough to be able to trade the arrow for a small pizza that had about six pieces in it because I didn't have any money. So uh, two pieces went to Phil, two to me. We gave one to Luke. And then I put one down for my cat. And I will never, for the rest of my life, forget my cat. Here is this little cat. He's probably only six months old. But he looks at that piece of pizza, and he became a mountain lion. And he went, <laughs> and he just devoured that piece of pizza. I mean, it was, it was awesome to behold. Um, that's Thanksgiving right there. He was so thankful. Okay. Moving on. So I know, I know you don't like cats. Okay, I know. Um, so, you know, in the early church, they had a culture of thanksgiving. Um, and we see it in Paul's writings. For instance, 1 Thessalonians was written in 49 AD. And that's approximately 20 years or so from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven, they figure. That's really early on. And so this culture of thanksgiving started right away. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3 says, We give thanks to God always for all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, in, all, in almost the beginning of all of his letters, he thanks God for the people that he's writing to, almost all of them. And then several times throughout the letters, he talks about thanksgiving. The only one I think he doesn't talk about thanksgiving is um, the one to the Galatians because they, he was dealing with heresy and legalism and stuff. Um, so he didn't thank them. But <laughs> now, Paul connected thanksgiving with the idea of receiving grace. Uh, in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's amazing. See, I'm going to ask the worship team to come now. And is there, I'm going to, got a few more things to share. But if there's anybody who needs the communion, um, these little communion things, um, you can raise your hand and they'll, they'll come and bring you one if you don't have one. Um, if, if you don't have one. Or you can go to the back and get one. I want to read a few quotes to you from the early church fathers uh, this one by John Christostom is pretty amazing. And 
this talks about thanksgiving, but in a different aspect. He says, but let us be thankful, not for our own blessings alone, but also for those of others. For in this way, we shall be able both to destroy our envy, notice that, and to rivet our charity and make it more genuine. Wow. Let me read that again. But let us be thankful, not for our own blessing, blessings alone, but also for those of others. For in this way, we shall be able both to destroy our envy. You know, if you ever have envy in your life, a good way to destroy it is by being thankful for others or giving thanks to God for whatever it is that others receive. You know, that's just the way to do it. Um, and to rivet our charity. I like this word rivet. That's like, you know, the, the idea of a rivet, like a machine, rivet it on there, you know. Just rivet your charity, your love, and make it more genuine. And then Basil of Caesarea wrote this, one of the three Cappadocian fathers. I know it sounds like a Starbucks drink, but you know, there were these group of guys called the Cappadocian fathers. And, and he wrote this about Thanksgiving. And, and it's talk, he, he talks about Thanksgiving basically in all aspects of life. And he says, when you sit down to eat, pray. When you eat bread, do so thanking him for being so generous to you. If you drink wine, be mindful of him who has given it to you for your pleasure and as a relief in sickness. When you dress, thank him for his kindness in providing you with clothes. When you look at the sky and the beauty of the stars, throw yourself at God's feet and adore him who in his wisdom has arranged things in this way. Similarly, when the sun goes down and when it rises, when you are asleep or awake, give thanks to God, this is amazing, who created and arranged all things for your benefit to have you know, love, and praise their creator. That's just amazing. And then um, I want to read one, one last thing and then we'll get into the scripture here. We'll get into the communion part. But this comes from a book called the Didache. And, you know, the Didache is not very long. I think you could probably find it on the internet. It's probably only like 10, 20 of our pages long. It's not very long, but they called it a book back then. And the chapters are like this long, you know. But basically, it w was written somewhere, it was pieced together between 50 AD up to 120 AD, about 70 years. And it's called the Didache, it's the teaching of the apostles is what it is. And so there's bits and pieces of scripture we see in there. And it's basically kind of on how to do church um, in the early church. And so I'm going to read to you this little part about the Eucharist or the communion. The Eucharist, the word literally means giving thanks. So it says, concerning the Eucharist, give thanks in this way. First, concerning the cup, we give thanks to you, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be glory forever. Uh, concerning the broken bread, we give thanks to you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. As this broken bread was sacrificed upon the mountains and being gathered together became one loaf, so may your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. That's amazing. And so, yeah, let's stand together. <clears throat> 